This is the Santita Jackson Show. Santita Jackson Show. It is Friday, January 5th, 2024. I am glad to be with you today. Morning stars, I promise you we'll be back up on StreamYard and Facebook and YouTube next week. But in the meantime, please go to WCPT820.com and AM950radio.com to stream live. And, um, of course, I'm coming to you from WCPT820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. We will be at the center of everything that is relevant at the Democratic Convention in the summer of 2024. I'm going to bring in our brothers and sisters from AM950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, too. You all have so much going on up there. Man, you over your politicians raise a whole lot of Canaan. We love it. We love it. We love it. Hey, the Stop Trump movement has come to Illinois, a moderate state, a moderate Republican state. Remember, we're Democratic heavy in Chicago, but it's a moderate Republican state. But five voters have filed an 87 page document attempting to stop former President Trump from being put on the ballot in the Illinois primary. Will it work? Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts. Wow. Massachusetts and Illinois. Uh, committed to this action yesterday. What do you think is going to happen? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Let me know. Should he be on the ballot or not? It's a really simple question. Should he be on the ballot or not? Should he be barred because of his role in January 6th, his alleged role that has not been actually proved in court, not yet? Um, I think it's very important for us to be very technical about this. We have to be precise because we want people to be precise with us with the law as so much imprecision follows so many of us and keeps us in prison and jail for interminable periods of time. So what about that? Should he be allowed to be on the ballot? Yes or no? Up or down? Tell me. 773-763-9278. And, you know, we keep looking past the judgeships on the local, county, and state level. Did you know that one-fourth of the Supreme Court, state Supreme Courts, are up for election this year? And you don't even know who's running, do you? We don't see massive campaign ads for people who are running to be a justice for the Supreme Court. Now, we saw that with Janet Prosewitz up in Wisconsin. But we don't really see it anyplace else. And these justices... And these state Supreme Courts, they really have a greater impact upon how we live than the U.S. Supreme Court. Remember, the U.S. Supreme Court gets lots and lots of cases that they have to decide whether or not they're going to go through. And then they make a decision. I'm going to choose this one, this one, this one, but everything else rests with the state courts. Don't you think we need to know about these races that are happening all over the country in 33 states? One-fourth of the Supreme Court justices are on the docket, but we don't even know who they are. Let's talk about that today at the bottom of the hour. But the question of the day, should Trump be on the ballot, yes or no? Tell me, 
763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. I want to know what your thoughts are. Call me at 773-763-9278. Let's get in some of these headlines, everybody. A U.S. strike killed an Iran-linked militia commander in Baghdad yesterday. The militia had claimed several attacks on U.S. forces. Let's get that headline music going. The strike in Iraq's capital has further raised fears of a wider war in the Middle East. Mm, The U.S. Secretary of State is visiting the Middle East an eight-nation tour. In an attempt to ease tensions, Israel will answer accusations that it is committing genocide in Gaza at at the International Court of Justice next week. Of course, those charges are being led by South Africa. And so we're going to see where all of this goes. A shooting at an Iowa high school left one sixth grader. Oh, my goodness, Dad. A teenage gunman identified by police as Dylan Butler pointed a posted a troubling TikTok video before opening fire at Perry High School yesterday, wounding five. It was the first school shooting of 2024, and it happened on the first day back after winter break. Butler took his own life after the attack. God bless them all. Donald Trump received foreign payments during his presidency, according to a report. The government and uh, officials of 20 countries, governments and and officials of 20 countries now, paid his businesses at least $7.8 million while he was president, according to a new report from House Democrats. Why does it matter? Well, according to this Washington Post report, the payments may have broken rules that bar for federal officials from accepting money or gifts from foreign governments without permission, according to the report. What do you think? And we're coming up on the mm, on the third anniversary of the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol. Three years ago tomorrow, everybody. Three years ago for tomorrow. There is a call for Israel's ambassador to the, uh, to the United Kingdom to be expelled after she openly calls for the genocide of Palestinians on the LBC radio network in the United Kingdom. She said the IDF must target every school, mosque, every second house, which has access to a tunnel. Uh, Now, mind you, those homes were built in Gaza by Israel in 1980. And the former prime minister of Israel, Ehud Barak, said, we know about the tunnels because we built them. Christiane Amanpour was conducting, was conducting that interview, and she asked him, she was stunned, did you misspeak? He said, no, we built them. According to the Gallup poll, our federal officials, elected and appointed, are not doing too well. Biden and top government officials rank low on the Gallup poll. They are all at 50 percent. They're all below 50 percent. Biden's at 39 percent. McConnell's at 27 percent. Kamala Harris, though, is at 40 percent. Hakeem Jeffries, 46 percent. Justice Roberts at 48 percent. Anthony Blinken, 45 percent. Merrick Garland, 44 percent. Not good news. What do you think about that? Call me at 773-763-9278. And lastly, uh, Mr. Aspen, who Bill Aspen, the hedge fund manager who led the charge to fire Claudine Gay, um, he is now taking aim at DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Projects. 
of course, Mark Cuban, not of course, but Mark Cuban is coming after him on that. He said, we need diversity, equity and inclusion. And guess what? Mr. Ackman said um, in a 4000 word takedown of DEI, he feels that DEI promotes an oppressor oppressed framework which has fueled anti-Israel and anti-Jewish hate speech and harassment. Now, ironically enough, as he has attacked Pauline Gay, Dr. Pauline Gay, on plagiarism, it turns out his wife, Dr. Neri Oxman, an MIT PhD, who is also a tenured professor at MIT, an analysis by Business Insider shows that she has a more than similar pattern of plagiarism in her PhD dissertation. In fact, there are several, 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 several instances of plagiarization, according to the Boston Globe. In 2019, um, it showed that, uh, interestingly also, that Bill Ackman pressured uh, MIT to keep his wife's name out of a brewing scandal over her acceptance of a $125,000 grant from, get it, Jeffrey Epstein. You can't make this stuff up. Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams, how are you doing today? It's always a joy I'm to doing, be with you. <laughs> always a joy to be here. I'm doing well. Good morning, everyone. Well, wait a minute. You're going to be in Chicago preaching. You I, have to let us I know. Am. I've got to push this until you get here. Was it on the 21st? Yes, ma'am. I will be there on the 21st at uh, New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church, the Cubs, and celebrating, as you know, uh, Pastor uh, Stephen Thurston Sr. is retiring, and on January 21st, we are celebrating First Lady Joyce Thurston, and so I am there to preach and celebrate them, but certainly highlighting her, and so I'm excited, looking forward to it. And can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to hear you. <laughs> I mean, you. I mean, there is not a finer preacher in the land than Pastor oh. Tisha Dixon Williams. Oh my goodness, of the First Baptist Church uh, of Richampton, New York. How can we worship yeah. with you? Before you give us the good news, we need to know how we can be in touch with you because you know you're making me listen to you if, and from well I'm not bedside Baptist because that's why I'm working on Sunday morning but if you're ever in the New York area and you're in the Long Island Suffolk County area you can come visit us certainly but you can visit us virtually every week on YouTube at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at First Baptist Church of Bridgehampton make sure to like and subscribe our channel. Well, what is the good news? We certainly do need it. Amen. Well, this year, 2024, I have coined it, Santita, the year of yet. The year of yet. Y-E-T. We often speak about the things that we can't do, the things that haven't happened, but I would like everybody, all of your goals and all of your plans, even the plans that you had in 2023, to reframe, not that you can't do it, not that it hasn't happened, not that people don't know you, but rather it hasn't happened yet. It has not come to pass yet. You have yet to do it. I have come to find out that the word yet is the flex, the word but wishes it was. <laughs> we have a lot of buts, but I want to encourage people this year to have a whole lot of yet. And today I want to raise in your hearing the idea that they don't know you 
Yet, there are those of us who work in obscurity, we work in incognito space, doing the work, uh, working hard, applying all of our gifts, talents, and abilities to everything that we do, going above and beyond, and people don't know us yet. We feel like we're constantly overlooked in favor of those who are more popular, in favor of those who shine brighter. But I want to tell somebody right now this way. In the whole galaxy, you have the heavens, you have the stars, and you have the meteors. Ensure everyone strives for heaven. We all want to reach the stars and shine bright like them. But you know what? When a meteor passes through, nothing shines brighter than it. And so maybe you all are meteors in an otherwise expansive sky and galaxy. But I want you to know that even though you just pass through for a moment, that moment is yours. And people will know you soon enough. Your work, your labor, all that you're doing is not in vain. How do we know? Well, we have a fantastic example of this in the book of Judges, a gentleman by the name of Shamgar. He only has one verse in the entire Bible, Santita. Judges chapter 3, verse 31 reads, At Shamgar, the son of Anath, he slain 600 Philistines with Philistines with an ox goat, and he too delivered Israel. That's it. That's all it says. There's nothing else about him. There's one other fleeting scripture, and all of that, all that is, is a passing scripture to get to highlight to Deborah. So, in between Ehud and Deborah, sandwiched in between, in this little little space, you've got you've got this judge named Shamgar, who nobody knows. And isn't that all of us? We like to think that we can identify with Deborah. We love to think that we have the power and the strength of all of the other judges. But in reality, most of us are living in obscurity like Shamgar. You know what this reminded me of? You'll appreciate this. It reminded me of Otis Williams from The Temptations. We all know that clip from the movie that came out in 1998, the miniseries. And we see David Ruffin telling Otis, nobody come to see you, Otis. But here's the thing. If it weren't for Otis, there'd be no temptations. Otis has been the foundation, the inspiration. He's been responsible for every incarnation. He's been responsible for the evolution of the temptations since their inception in the very beginning. And few people know that. It wasn't until the miniseries that most people find out found out just how integral he was to this super group of the 60s and 70s. I want you to know today that maybe you want to be a David Ruffin, but as God has called you to be steady, stable, foundational, and successful like an Otis, guess what? That's a blessed life. So for all of you who are pining, for all of you who are working in the background, for all of you who are doing your thing and you think nobody sees you, here's the inspiration. Nobody may have seen Shamgar either, but guess what? He's still in the book which means he still matters. And you matter too. Your labor is not in vain. Your work is not in vain. Your light will shine because like it happened to me, one day somebody's going to stumble upon your story and make sure you shine. So they may not know you, but reframe that. It's not that they don't know you. They don't know you yet. Be encouraged, family. You know, I want to bring something up to you. You just made me think of something Um, because everybody wants to shine, right? Yeah. No one wants to pay the price. There you go. If you want to be David Ruffin, you have to almost be pawned off as a child because your mother was a prostitute struggling. Uh 
If yeah. you want to be Aretha, you got to have a child at 12. Mm. I mean, that's, that's got to happen because that's helped. To, and then at 14, right. that helped to make her who she is. That's not all she was, right? I mean, if you want to be, like, I was looking at my father. I was like, wow, wait a minute. You never knew a night where you, he will always say, often say, I never knew a night where I spent the same night, same I've never spent one night under the same roof as my mother and father, ever. Mm. So when my brother went away to boarding school, it was particularly devastating to him because he said, I loved walking through the house and seeing the four of you, then the five of you, just asleep. Mm -hmm. Because that was something I never experienced. You know, and I think that, you know, far too often, we don't know someone's story. We know the glory. But even when we know the story, we don't want to pay the price. That's right. And that's why we can't ever envy someone else's success because we don't know what they went through to achieve it. And unless you're willing to do the same thing, you ought not begrudge their success or you ought not envy their success. Each one of us has a path of our own. You have your own success to go after. You have your own goals to reach and your story will be your story. But I think, yes, I caution people about that all the time. Be very careful because you don't know the price they paid to get where they are. But do you think we really, really get that? I mean, because I just see so much envy that people have. (laughs) So much people, so much envy that people have. And I'm like, you really don't know what somebody has gone through. And and when you really get, when you become on intimate terms with someone and they start sharing their life story with you, you go, oh my gosh, maybe I didn't want to be just like you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think people see the end results, but they certainly don't see the work. I think that is absolutely applies to so many spaces. I mean, even consider yourself. I mean, you always look amazing when you're doing your show. You're lovely. You're sophisticated. You're glamorous. You're so well-spoken. You can sing. You have all these amazing things going for you. But you're up at 2 in the morning every morning (laughs) working on stories, working on interviews, producing this show. You work extremely hard. And on top of that, you have your own personal life that you have to, you know, maintain and and cultivate and continue to curate and enjoy. So, yeah, I think sometimes when you're good at what you do and you make it look so easy, it's a, it's even more appealing to people. They 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 think they can do it. You consider, like you said, your your dad, your mom, your family. You consider the clergy space. Oh, wow, they get to stand up there every week. And, and preach and, you know, inspire people. Yeah, but nobody sees you at like three in the morning <laughs> crying your eyes out because you're still waiting for the Lord to speak. <laughs> and Sunday is coming fast. Well, or that's the rate of your rate of divorce is so high. And our rate, yes, because people are always concerned with what's happening for clergy in the pulpit, and they never think about what's happening at the parsonage. Mm. Never consider. So, so what is a lesson for us in all of that? Because I see envy, 
you know, these, I see, I see so much in that. And Mm -hmm. I just, I think that we need to really kind of step back, pump the brakes, because we Mm -hmm. don't know what people have gone through. We really, really, really don't. And we don't know what you must go through and grow through to get to where you need to go. Oh, sure. I think the lesson is found here in very simple, very simple words by those great theologians, Rihanna and T.I., Live your life. (laughs) Just live your life. That's it. Live your life because you will have peaks and valleys of your own. You will have dangerous toils and snares of your own. You do not have to borrow from anyone else's tribulation. Mm. And I think the other thing is we have begun to subscribe to this life. But the more you suffer, the closer to God you are. And people feel like if I don't struggle, I have not earned my success. That's not true. Challenges are sometimes part of the journey, but they don't have to be the whole journey. Sometimes success can happen very simply by continuing to work hard and stay persistent. Live your life and enjoy the process. You mean we're supposed to enjoy this too? What? We have to enjoy okay. it, too. That's the only way to okay. learn from it. Yeah. It's the only way to learn from it. We've got to learn. We've got to find the bright spots. I, it's like, you know, life is like a garden. You ever notice how in a garden you don't have to struggle to find weeds? <laughs> weeds just oh present gosh. themselves. They show yep. up looking like flowers. They are overgrowth. They look like random leaves. You never have to work to find a weed. Weeds are always present. But you know what you do have to work to find? You've got to dig for your crop. You've got to reach for your fruit. You've got to till the soil. Any good thing in a garden takes some sort of work. And so that's what we've got to do. We've got to be willing to work for the joy in our lives. We've got to be willing to dig it up and find it and pull it pull it down when we need to. Because the weeds are going to be there. You don't have to search for negative. You don't have to grow negative. Negative is always going to present itself. But it's the positive things that we've got to constantly dig for and work for. And in the end, we find out it's worth it. Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams, everybody, how can we worship with you on Sunday throughout the week, because I know you've got these sermons archived. Yes, ma'am. You can worship with us on YouTube at the First Baptist Church of Bridgehampton. Uh, our, the sermons are archived. And you can also worship with us at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday morning. We'd be happy to have you. And guess what? She's going to be here. Is it the 21st of, of, uh, of January? Yes, in just another all few right. weeks. Yes. Come on now. We all have to meet some of you in person. I'd love that. (laughs) Come on, everybody. It's going to be great. January 21st at New Covenant at 78th and Cottage Grove. This is a preaching machine. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear what she will have to, how she'll gift us, how she'll bless us. I love you, Pastor Tisha Dixon Williams. Sending you so much love. That's you my girl. right back at my you. My girl. My girl. Everybody, let's talk about <laughs> these state Supreme Court races. One-fourth of the Supreme Court justices at the state level are up for election. You don't even know who they are. Remember, they have greater, they have greater impact upon your life than the U.S. Supreme Court. 
Because the U.S. Supreme Court can decide to let their decision stand. That's a big deal. 33 states have races on the state Supreme Court. Do you know who's running in your state? Starts with more of the Santita Jackson show. And at the top of the hour, should President Trump be on the ballot? Just let me know that. Call me at 773-763-9278. Back with more of the Santita Jackson show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Ten days away from Iowa. What is going to happen there? And will the Democrats have a primary? You know, when we have primaries, people get excited. Now I'm not hearing anything aside from a tour with Kamala Harris, our vice president, is that enough? Uh, call me at 773-763-9278. And should Trump be on the ballot? That is the question. Now it has hit Illinois, which is a moderate Republican state. Strong Democratic, big city, Chicago, but it's a moderate Republican state. I mean, we're not a right-wing Republican state. So, but five voters have come together with an 87-page document outlining why he should not be on the ballot. What do you think? Along with Massachusetts yesterday and Colorado and Maine, mm, it's, it, this is a movement that is taking place all across the country, and I want to know what your thoughts are. But let's talk about these state Supreme Courts. These state Supreme Courts mean so much to us. Indeed, they really have a greater impact upon how we live than even the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court does not take all of their cases. They take a few of them. They will let what the state Supreme Court system has ruled, they will let it stand. And so it is of great import when you find out that according to the fulcrum, that one quarter of all state Supreme Court justices will be on ballots in November. Term limits, mandatory elections, retirements, one quarter. 33 states are set to decide who should sit on these high, on the highest courts in their state. And yet, do you know who's running for the Supreme Court? Do you even know who's on the Supreme Court in your state? Call me at 773-763-9278. How dangerous is that for us not to know people who have such a profound impact upon our lives? We've got, of course, Dwight McKee, a brilliant social scientist and, of course, political organizer um, and uh, brilliant in her own right, attorney Erin Connolly, one of the uh, foremost experts on voter, voter rights and one of our best advocates on voter rights, attorney Daryl Jones, chairman of the Transformative Justice Coalition. But, you know, of course, from Rainbow Push Coalition and WALK Radio, and, of course, you were WOL Radio every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, Daryl Jones. But from 1 to 4 Eastern Standard Time every Sunday, you've got uh, Robert Patillo's show. Robert Patillo, one-fourth of the state Supreme Court justices will be on the ballot. Do you even know who's on the Supreme Court in Georgia, in Maryland, in... Any place? 
You know, I've always made the argument that people vote in the exact wrong order uh, and that we need to start working off our boards of elections to put the uh, to put the ballots in reverse order. Uh, because the way that most people vote is you, you run to the, the uh, election office, you got 10, 15 minutes during your lunch break on Tuesday to try to vote. Uh, you say, President, of course, I'm going to vote for that. Governor, yes. Senator, yes. Congress, absolutely. Then you turn the page and say, dang, there's a whole bunch more elections on here. Uh, and the page you turn to, you say, dang, there's a whole bunch more elections. Those are ones that people skip, but those are the ones that matter most. Because those are your school boards, your uh, board of elections, your alderman, your uh, wardsman, your council person, and then also your state and local judicial races. The reason these Supreme Court races are so important is, uh, one, uh, we pay very little attention to them, even though they are elected judges. Think about the level of consternation we have against uh, about the appointment of Supreme Court justices on the federal level, having to wait for them to die, uh, basically, in order to uh, replace them. And then the president having the singular ability to do so, so it's uh, really a crapshoot depending on who is in office at the time. On the state level, that's not the case. You get a vote in exactly who is the state Supreme Court justice. And much of the action happens in these state Supreme Courts. And then when there's controversy between the circuits, uh, when different Supreme Courts have different rulings uh, on cases, that's when things often work their way up to the federal judiciary and eventually to the U.S. Supreme Court if it's taken on a writ of certiary. This is significant because voting rights cases normally begin uh, in the state Supreme Courts. Uh, Police brutality cases often work their way up to the state Supreme Courts. Uh, And when we're not working to put people on the bench, we're voluntarily putting one arm uh, behind our back of these fights. And we can't simply fight on the federal level. We have to fight on the state and local level. Uh, no matter how many cases the U.S. Supreme Court decides, they will never be able to handle the volume of cases that comes from 50 Supreme Courts around the country. And we have to pay attention to these state and local races, these judicial races, because that is where the real movement will happen. Uh, and the cases that are going to be affecting your life on a day-to-day, day-in and day-out basis, that's where they take place. So we have to concentrate on those the same way conservatives have concentrated concentrated on uh, those state and local races over the course of the last decade, uh, which has led to many of these uh, 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 abominable decisions we're seeing nationwide on everything from critical race theory um, to uh, women's reproductive rights to uh, civil rights to the uh, right to vote, uh, uh, etc. That's happening on the state level, and we have to keep that fight going. But we don't, we don't do that. I mean, Daryl, you don't even know who's running. I mean, Robert makes a point. You, by the time you have voted for president, you know, these federal officials, even the big local officials, you don't care, but you just flip through the pages and want to get the, out, get the blank out of that, that booth. Well, what, what, what are we doing? Right. Yeah, no, and Robert's absolutely right, and you're absolutely correct, but generally, once we get down to voting for state Supreme Court judges, uh, that most people think, many people think uh, that, you know, well, you know, I'm not really familiar with them. I'm, I'm not going to get involved in this. I I'm, I'm just want to do the top part of the ticket, and that's all that I'm going to vote for if I don't want to get involved with anything else. And, and that's dangerous because you know, what happens is this, and, and uh, Wisconsin is an excellent example. Uh, in the state of Wisconsin, when they uh, elected Judge Kirkatowicz, uh to the state Supreme Court there in Wisconsin, that issue became 
really huge because it was talking about whether or not women's reproductive rights uh, would be able to be withheld and how would it be interpreted. You know, in Wisconsin, it, uh, the, the election of Judge Patsowitz, uh changed it from a majority, a conservative uh, bench to a, cons- uh, to a majority uh, progressive bench. And that then brought up the issue of what will the uh, reproductive rights look like? What will go forward in the state of Wisconsin? It brought forward what will uh, voting rights look like in the state of Wisconsin? Because those are issues that ultimately end up in our court system and before our state Supreme Courts. So those that are elected and make those decisions really uh, are are holding a position of, of determining how a state will move forward. And as Robert so, you know, so eloquently laid out, you know, all of this occurred because our Supreme Court, our U.S. Supreme Court, rolled all of the, through the Dobbs decision, rolled all the uh, reproduction right cases out to the states. So at that point, it became a fight for each of the state courts to make decisions as to how each state would individually handle measures in that state. And those Supreme Court races in each individual state became that much more uh, significant. But not only Wisconsin, uh, Santita, we also know that it happened in Pennsylvania, North Carolina. We're seeing this uh, uh, crop across the country, but the new battleground last time through, uh, it was, uh, it was the, uh, the, the Board of Education and, and determining what was going to be read. This time through, it's the state Supreme Court and making really determinative issues. So we've got to be certain that we take a, uh, take a moment and be certain that we understand what's happening and the importance and vote in those uh, state Supreme Court uh, elections that are up. As you indicated, there's about 25% of these seats that are up across the country, so or 30% of these cases uh, seats that are up across the country. Because it's, So it's going to be significant. We've got to be certain that we understand and we exercise uh, that vote uh, in, a, in a very informed way. In your organizing, are, do you think that people are concerned about that, Aaron? I mean... I just I never hear that emphasized. The state Supreme Court. We don't even know who's on it. Well, I think in, in certain circles, um, people have made sure they know who's on it. I'm gonna use an example of the amazing women led coalition in Arizona that is taking on Doug Ducey's appointees in the Supreme Court that won back an attorney general seat that's taking a strong stance countywide and statewide for abortion rights and has worked their butts off, I will say, getting signatures to make sure that abortion is and women's health and medical practices in Arizona are protected under the state constitution. And that will be a state referendum. There um, you know, was a recent Arizona Supreme Court ruling that said a law from 1864 would replace um, the the best practices um, that were normalized under the federal requirements in Roe v. Wade, which were repealed, obviously, right? So now Arizona is in a position um, in December of 2023 where their old law is taking effect and there's essentially an abortion ban in play, right? So one of the Supreme Court uh, justices who was appointed, mind you, I think this is a key point that we often uh, gloss over, is when judges step down, um, how are they replaced? 
right? Um, there is a partisan element to many of the nominations. Many of the general elections for justices are technically nonpartisan. Some of them are not. But the appointment process is really where we get into some trouble with some of these lifetime appointments at state Supreme Court. So what we had in Arizona was um, an appointment by a Trump-supporting Doug Ducey governor for eight years in Arizona. He appointed Bill Montgomery, who um, is problematic on many levels. It turns out he also publicly said that abortion was the largest genocide ever created on the planet and ultimately has to recuse himself from any deliberations around this issue. The reason that is, is organizers, again, made sure that the media in Arizona understood this and that the people in power, um, in government, and really these courts are still political entities in and of themselves. There's power in these benches. There's power in the clerks that work in these offices. There's power um, from the legal communities um, in these states, right? And ultimately, the pressure was made that this justice would, in fact, recuse himself, unlike some of our Supreme Court court justices do. So um, I think there's a lot of elements that, that people need to be aware of. And I'm so glad you brought up the organizer's responsibility in this, because I saw that from a very early stage when we were fighting against the health uh, Obamacare repeal, right, and had to put a lot of public pressure. The organizers come through on these issues and make sure that the people that were going door to door, that were doing the press conferences and that were keeping attention on these issues. It was such an important piece here, and it's going to be the same throughout states that are fighting these battles in Supreme Court decisions. The elections that are coming up in Michigan, in Ohio, um, are crucial. We see, um, you know, Michigan make a ruling uh Recently, that Donald Trump, in fact, will be on the ballot and um, did not validate the the claims of that he should be kicked off the ballot for his his various uh, legal treasonous activities. So um, we see the power the state Supreme Courts have in many ways recently. So, Dwight, what do you see? I mean, because you have been an organizer for almost 60 years. I mean, and one of the, what I think, as we grew up in Breadbasket and Operation Push, political education let you know on a local level how important your, your, um, your judges were. Remember when we were campaigning for Bill Cousins? I mean, we really, really understood, we, and we were, well, we were taught how important every single office was, right? Yeah, that's true. And not only do we have to, I don't think that we have to have to just know who's running. We have to help decide who's running. What uh, Jerry Fordsworth's strategy was with Liberty University, he's the one that used to head the silent majority movement, Christian minister. He started a university called Liberty University. And his strategy was that he was going to train the next three, four, five generations of Christian lawyers and judges and then strategically place them across the country and dominate politics from the bottom up. And it succeeded. He has had a greater impact on the country dead than most presidents have had alive. Strategically, he understood the importance of bottom-up politics and understand, understood the importance of having these lawyers and these judges in the in the place. His issue primarily was abortion. 
and it took him 30 to 40 years to take it out of play. But he, in fact, was able to do that because he had a long-range strategy. In Chicago, black people vote for judges just based on if their last names sound Irish or not. And it has been detrimental to us uh, for the last 50 years because our logic was if they were Democratic and Irish, they probably would be on our side. And those were the only names we were familiar with. And yet it became over time for us a very counterproductive strategy because we didn't understand that the Irish was for the Irish first. And then it filtered down at some levels in the black community. At some levels it was counter-black community because they also controlled the police departments and that uh, their jobs, many of them, were predicated upon blacks being incarcerated because they at the same time was making rulings on black incarceration at the same time controlling the prison industrial complex that benefited from us being in jail. It is crucial that we understand this system from top to bottom. Do you think, what are the, you know, we're always looking at, we're looking at uh, Robert the vice president is on a college tour, which I think is great. And it's been, and people are very enthusiastic. She's being very enthusiastically received. But I'm just wondering about organizing on a more fundamental level, because while that's exciting, we've got these, we've got these local and I mean, Republicans said, according to David Daly's book, we're going to take over the state systems. That's how we'll control America. You could have the presidency. Go for it. But they have very, very methodically, deliberately captured the governorships, the state Supreme Courts, local and I mean, countywide. I mean, they have really, really done a job, Robert. What can we do to counteract that? Or to, I mean, or just to act? Well, it's about vigilance. What we saw during the course of uh, the Obama era uh, is we uh, centralization of party assets upward. Um, the Democratic Party was so concerned about making sure they maintained the presidency and they maintained uh, power in Congress that you started seeing them taking money away from state and local parties nationwide. Because of this, during the Obama era, we saw, I think it was 1,044 seats on the state and local level flip from Republican or from Democrat to Republican across the country. Now, because of this, we start seeing some of these wild rulings coming out, and, and we start seeing math that ain't mathing. Uh, as the young people say, a state like Georgia that's 33% African-American, you have a constitutional majority in the House uh, and the Senate and every statewide elected official being a Republican. Same thing for a state like South Carolina with this, uh, nearly 38% uh, African-American. But Republicans completely control that entire state. Uh, you can look at that throughout the South. We, we abrogated our uh, duty to build the party up from the bottom up. And this is a part of the reason also that we see that the Democratic Party has such a shallow bench. Uh, we, 
generally speaking, the Republicans were always the party of the next oldest white man in the room uh, gets mm-hmm. to be the leader of the party. Now they're the party of the young insurgents, um, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts, the Matt Gates, George Santos of the world. Say what you will about them, but they have a, a bench that's coming up and making a name for themselves in politics. Democrats don't have that because for a decade we've spent uh, not investing on the state and local level, and for that reason, the the standard bearers of the Democratic Party are still people in their in their seventies and eighties. Joe Biden's, um, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, on down the line. We haven't built that bench out. Even the progressive wing of the party is led by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, uh, who are both in their seventies and eighties. So Democrats are going to have to get serious about building up the the state and local parties while investing real money, about getting hats involved, getting mega donors involved uh, on these state and local races. Additionally, uh, say what you will about President Trump, but if you are running for uh, to be the MAGA dog catcher of Dalton, Georgia, uh, President Trump will show up for you. And he will campaign for you. Uh, and he will uh, endorse you, and he'll put his uh, his name on a flyer for you. He will make phone calls. He will do voiceover for commercials for the dog catcher in Dalton, Georgia, because he understands the importance of allegiance and having MAGA candidates up and down the ballot. Now, at the time that he was doing that, people didn't realize he was doing that as an insurance policy in case he needed to steal the election. Uh, but we saw in Michigan the county election officials. Uh, just you know, just a couple folks from uh, from uh, Wayne County, Michigan. Uh, Donald Trump and Ronald McDaniel got on the phone with them to talk to them about uh, holding the fortress and making sure they didn't certify the election. Uh, state and local uh, elected officials in Georgia and in, uh, Arizona, around the country, Democrats don't have that kind of bench. You can't tell me a local organizer in this country that gets a call from Joe Biden uh, on a regular basis, or from uh, uh, Debbie Washington Schultz, or any of the other leadership of the DNC. Uh, if you're not going to concentrate on building the minor leagues up or building the bench up, you're running a team the same way the Yankees do, the same way the Cowboys do, the same way the Lakers do. You're hoping to get a big-time star, but you don't actually have anybody coming out through the minor leagues and through the grassroots system. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what are you seeing in terms of organizing Dell? I mean, because you and Barbara are online. I mean, you're the best at it, and you're the most active at getting people registered to vote. What is the plan? You know, Cynthia, I think Ohio sort of gives us a blueprint uh, of that plan. In the state of Ohio, during the last election, uh, their question one that was on the ballot dealt with reproduction rights. And what happened there is that uh, you had local grassroots organizations that got together. They were going around door to door. They were, you know, galvanizing the voters, galvanizing the community members. You know, you got to remember, it was long believed that uh, the community of color, and particularly black and brown voters, didn't really focus on reproductive issues, that they weren't going to vote. That was the belief, that they wouldn't vote. Well, you know, you had the, the very grassroots organizations that got together, the organizations like Ohio Women's Alliance, that ended up turning out some 83% of the voters for question one, issue one in Ohio. That's what needs to happen. We've got to, out, we've got to activate and really get that base out there. And that's how we do it, picking up those issues and educating the voters and bringing the vote to their door and imploring them to go to the polls and pull the levers. And it important, everybody. You need to know who's on your state Supreme Court. You need to know who the dog catcher is. You need to know who's on your education board. You need to know, you need to know, you need to know. 
But now coming up, more and more states are forming a movement to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot. What do you think about that? Should he be on the ballot? Yes or no? 773-763-9278. Now it's come to a moderate Republican state like Illinois and Massachusetts. They said that yesterday. Five, five voters in the state of Illinois. 87-page document. They said, look, according to the 14th Amendment, he helped to cause an insurrection. He should not be on the ballot. What do you think about that? Is that going to work? Do you agree with it? Call me at 773-763-9278, or should I say call us? Santita Jackson and friends, back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you today on Friday, January 5th, 2024. Let's get right to it. You know, we've got this peace summit at Rainbow Push. Wow, people are registering. We want you to. You just need to be there next Friday, Friday and Saturday. You're going to have Cornell West there. Nina Turner is going to be there. Um, so John Nichols will be there. Dwight McKee will be there. Reverend Jesse Jackson, James Ogley. People from all over the country and all over the world, quite frankly, are coming to this emergency peace summit at 930 50th Street. You don't want to miss it next Friday, next Saturday. Please be there. Go call 773 Freedom for more information or go to rainbowpush.org. Rainbowpush.org. It's going to be quite the coming together. Quite the coming together. We want to see you there. I want to know from you should Trump be on the ballot? Illinois has joined Massachusetts and Colorado and Maine calling for him not to be on the ballot. What do you think about that? Is it a good strategy? Will it work? Do you think it's justified? Call us at 773-763-9278. Joining, of course, Dwight McKee, brilliant social scientist, and attorney Aaron Connolly, brilliant political organizer, um, and attorney Daryl Jones, voting rights advocate extraordinaire, of course, host of his own show with Barbara Arnwine on WOL every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, and you don't want to miss Robert Patillo's show. It is off the chain, off and cracking every Sunday from 1 to 4 Eastern Standard Time, of course, from the national leadership team of Rainbow Push. Dr. Dr. David Gibbs, historian, cannot wait to hear what his thoughts are about these, using the 14th Amendment to keep Trump off the field. Uh, What about... What about all of this? Will it work? Is it a good strategy? Is it justified? Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCTT. Let's get some of these headlines out of the way. A U.S. strike killed an Iran-linked militia commander in Baghdad yesterday. The militia had claimed several attacks on U.S. forces. The strike in Iraq's capital has further raised fears of a wider war in the Middle East. Indeed, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is on an eight-country tour in the Middle East in an attempt 
to ease tensions and quell a regional war. A shooting at an Iowa high school left one sixth grader dead. What happened? A teen gunman identified by police as Dylan Butner, Butler, who ended up killing himself, everybody. He posted a troubling TikTok video before opening fire at Perry High School yesterday, wounding five. It was the first school shooting of 2024. Donald Trump received foreign payments during his presidency, according to a report. Government and officials of 20 countries paid Trump's businesses at least $7.8 million while he was president, according to a new report from the House Democrats. The payments may have broken rules that bar federal officials from accepting money for gifts for from foreign governments without permission, according to reports. Of course, people were staying in his hotels. Hey, the January 6th attack, three years ago tomorrow, everybody, that is the anniversary. Praying for all who've been impacted by that. Where were you on that day when you saw that horrific mob attacking the Capitol, or that horrific attack on the Capitol? Weather today, Chicago, 35 degrees, cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 33 degrees and cloudy. This weekend, the Bears will be facing off against the Packers. The Vikings will be facing off against the Lions. The college football bowl season is about to begin. Cannot wait for that. In the NBA tonight, the Bulls versus the Hornets. The Timberwolves versus the Rockets. In the NHL, the Rangers four last night. The Chicago team one. The Lightning four, the Wild one. Call us at 773-763-9278-773-763 WCPT. Want to see you at this peace summit. At this peace summit, everybody. What about voters who are filing to remove Trump from the Illinois ballot? Now, this is a moderate state, a moderate Republican state. Uh, but you've got Maine, you've got uh, Massachusetts, you've got Colorado. More and more states, it seems like it's becoming a movement. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? I want the force to hear from our panel. Will this work? Is it a good strategy? Um, mm, it's just unbelievable. Dr. David Gibbs, what are your thoughts on this? Give us the historical overview. I think the main context should be that it's, it's a common practice in many countries that when um, – you know, leaders, presidents, prime ministers are facing serious opposition. They use the criminal uh, justice system as a means of attacking them and getting them um, removed from the ballot. Uh, we're seeing this right now, for example, in Bangladesh. The um, prime minister, uh, Sheikh Hasina, um, is indicting a Nobel Prize winning economist who is a principal opponent and, you know, this is being widely seen by the United States, by Hillary Clinton, by the Democratic establishment, as a threat to democracy, that Hasina is using the criminal justice system as a means of shutting down an opposition figure. And that even if the, the charges are true, and honestly, I don't know if they're true or not, the timing strongly suggests political motive and is therefore discrediting to the process. That's how it's seen in this country. Unfortunately, that is what is going on here with Donald Trump. You know, the efforts to remove him from the ballot, in my view, are entirely motivated by politics. The timing is very suspect. I mean, I don't think that if Trump were behind in the polls, if Biden were ahead by, say, 10 points, you would not be seeing these efforts to remove him from the ballot. Uh, the motive is political, that Trump is ahead in the polls, slightly ahead, but nevertheless ahead. And people are worried about that. And frankly, they should be worried about it. I don't like Trump either. But 
this seems like an illegitimate act to me um, based on political motive. And again, the motive is key. And if the motive is political, then the act is legitimate, um, even if there is some merit to the claims. And I, I don't think that legality here is very strong. I mean, if you read the section of the 14th Amendment that's being applied, it's very vaguely written. And, you know, it doesn't even name the president. It names senators. It names electors. But it does not name the president as somebody who can be disqualified based on insurrection. Whether, you know, this applies or not is, is very problematic based on the fact that also it's never been used before in 150 years against a president. And so, um, you know, based on all those considerations, um, the best thing to do, well, one more point, this doesn't have the slightest chance of, of working. I mean, it's been applied only in Colorado and Maine, possibly now also in Illinois. These are all states that are blue states. They're not going to vote for Trump anyway. So it's purely symbolic. Um, the Supreme Court almost certainly is going to overturn it. And my view should overturn it. And so I just don't understand what the point is of trying this gambit. What the Democrats need to do is put forth a better position, improve their game, try and address people who voted for them in the past who are not voting for them. They aren't doing this. And I think the reason they're now resorting to what seem to me like pretty desperate measures is a way of making up for their political failures. Again, that's a pretty harsh commentary, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. But I, I just think this is a very foolish move. Um, it just isn't going to work. It isn't justified. And, um, you know, there's a fundamental principle at hand, which is that you can't say to 45% of the population that supports Trump that we will not allow you to vote for the candidate of your choice. We will forbid you from voting for the candidate of your choice. That's a very extreme measure here, and it's not one that's justified in my view. Mm. 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278, before I move on to the rest of the panel. What about people would say to you, Dr. Gibbs, that you sound like a Trumper, even a closet Trumper? Upon what basis are you making this assertion? Well, I'm making it just based on the facts. I'm not a closet Trumper. I'm from the opposite direction. I'm a socialist. Um, I never voted for Trump. I never would vote for Trump. Um, and so uh, there's nothing to that. I think people tend to think in very sort of, um, you know, uh, either or terms that, you know, either you support, you know, the effort to remove Trump from the ballot or you must support Trump. But there's a third possibility, which is that you don't support Trump, but you think this is a bad idea. I think this is a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea on legal grounds, and even more so, it's a bad idea on political grounds. 773-763-9278. Robert Patillo, what are you thinking? What are you hearing with your audience? Uh, I'm very much a man agreement with, uh, with what was just said, primarily because, uh, you know, in law, we always talk about the slippery slope uh, uh, idea, the law of unintended uh, consequences. So you may be going after Trump today, uh, but there's every likelihood that that exact same uh, rationale will be used to go after a candidate of your choice 
uh, in the very near future. And that's the danger that we, uh, uh, that people are taking into account because everything that is done against President Trump, the same way that President uh, Trump was impeached, for example, uh, and now Republicans have gone on an impeachment spree. They want to impeach the president. They want to impeach um, the Homeland Security Secretary. They want to impeach um, uh, pretty much any official. They want to bring in Fauci, for example. So uh, we have to consider not just what President Trump has done, but what this will mean going forward and what will happen if you move the bar around. Uh, also, when we're talking about the terms of the 14th Amendment, uh, we need to be contracting, not expanding that power. Uh, Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, for example, is the basis for felony disenfranchisement laws nationwide. I've argued for years that the felony disenfranchisement laws were meant to stop former Confederates who took part in insurrections uh, from being able to vote in the elections. Instead, they used those same laws to stop African Americans who have been convicted of sometimes specious crimes from being able to vote, well, vote in state, uh, state and local elections because that law and unintended circle, uh, the consequences that often happens. And if we start expanding the reach of the 14th Amendment to curtail more individuals from being able to vote, from being able to hold federal office, uh, eventually that's going to come right back around to smack us in the face. And the same rulers we're trumpeting today will be fighting against in the future. The, the only way to kill the monster is to kill the monster. If you want to beat Trump, you've got to beat him fair and square legitimately and, uh, and take all questions out. And then if people feel that there's electioneering, if there's a conspiracy afoot, um, that they, uh, there are, they haven't been allowed to actually cast their vote. Uh, if you think things have been bad since they thought the election was stolen, uh, what do you think will happen when they feel the election was never allowed to be run in the first place? Speculate. Yes, David? Hello? Hello? This is Daryl. If I could, if I could jump okay, in. Okay, Daryl. Of course, of course, of course. You, you know, very interesting. And I and I listen to you know the arguments that are that are being posed here from you know, Professor Gibbs as well as from uh, from Robert. And one of the things that you know I I don't think we should lose sight of is this. And when we're talking about the Fourteenth Amendment and Section Three of, of that amendment, uh, you know, that that initial theory it didn't come from the Progressive Party. It, it didn't come from liberal media. It, became, it came from many of the conservative lawyers that were there who did not want Trump in place. And they, too, were pushing on a Section 3, uh, 14th Amendment uh, push. They saw this as a, as a way to solve their problem of, of Trump. So, you know, I, I don't want to – I think it's incorrect to leave the impression that this is a, this is a left-leaning, progressive type of thing, that this is the only place where this came from. I, I don't believe that that's accurate. I, I think that the biggest problem that existed uh, now uh, w- regarding uh, the, uh, the removal and the usage of the, of the 14th Amendment in Section 3 is this, is that when, they, when the uh, Department of Justice was prosecuting uh, all the folks that were the insurrectionists that were taken over the Capitol, at that point in time, right then and there, they should have been prosecuting uh, former President Trump, too. If they had done it there up front, we wouldn't be now sitting here coming up to Election Day wondering, is this all political at this point in time? Because he's talking about running again. 
So it, it's a timing thing. I, I think that the error falls with uh, Merrick Garland and, and that team, that they should have prosecuted it immediately. We wouldn't be here sitting here having this discussion right now as to whether or not it's a political. Is it political? Yeah. Part of it's going to be political, but it's also legal. You know, this, this is both. Do you want to close your legal eyes just to look through the political lens? Yeah, I, I don't believe that's right. I think that, you know, what should be happening and what should have happened is we should have been looking at that from our legal lens, from legal lens, from the, from the, uh, from the beginning, ab initio, as we say, and that prosecution would have occurred early on, whether it's a win or a loss, that prosecution would have occurred. And then all the stuff we see coming from the state courts, all the stuff saying that, you know, he was an insurrectionist, so therefore uh, the 14th Amendment applies. That would have been determined right then and there, because then you would have had something to hang your hat on. But, the, you know, the hanger would be there, because they would have the prosecution. They would have the facts of the case. They would have what's necessary to say, I'm not going to let him on the ballot, rather than having, you know, this mishmash that we have going on across the country at this point in time. Yeah, but part of the no, problem you got with that. Yeah, part of the problem you got with that is the problem of perception. Uh, when Ali was a young boy, who you and I had the benefit of knowing, uh, Santita, was a young guy, and he was 19, 20 years old, wanted to be the heavyweight champion. He followed Sonny Liston all over Las Vegas and challenged him to a fight. He challenged to fight him in, in bars and saloons and casinos. He's saying that, that that you ain't the real heavyweight champ. If you get a heavyweight champ, you got to come through me. I'm the real. I haven't beaten you yet. Uh, but you ain't the heavyweight champ because you ain't the heavyweight champ till you beat me. And when I beat you, I'm going to be the new heavyweight champ. And people thought that was brass. Now, had he taken that same position, that same momentum or energy and said, I want him out of the heavyweight uh, contention, because he should not be fighting me, then he would have been perceived as a as a coward rather than a champion. When Jesse Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson, was a young guy who you and I, Sandy, also knew, is he was perceived as a black militant. And and Diego Hoover, who was the head of the FBI, said that black militants was the biggest threat to America in the world. And so he would not, based on this logic, would have been permitted to run for president because his history of militancy would have put, some, some people would have argued that there was an insurrection because some folks' definition of being militant is other folks' definition of being insurrectionists. It puts the whole process at risk when a few people can decide who has the right to run and who has the right not to run. That's the danger that you have, is that everybody now, based on interpretation, is at risk because one man's militancy is another man's insurrectionist. Aaron, your thoughts? Well, I I take a you know a, a look at this issue from the the constitutional and political science side of of my life, right? And I think when we look at the citizens who brought this suit and look at the facts of the case that 
as president of the United States. I think that's something that we need to recognize. This isn't someone in their role as a citizen or an activist or even another elected official. This is the commander in chief of the armed forces of the United States of America, influencing electors in multiple states, right? Which I think, you know, is a, a is a, as large of an issue in these state cases as the insurrection itself on January 6th and his very public incitement of, of violence and mayhem at our, our nation's capital. So I, I think when we, we look at the facts politically expedient or, you know, the best uh, move um, from the Democrats, the reality is this, this is a, an issue that Republicans are saying we don't want the person on the top of our ticket to be somehow later kicked off the ballot um, and left without a candidate. Right. This is a, a real issue for for those folks. It's a it's a fundamental issue of our foundational democracy to make sure that when we see the president, the commander in chief breaking these laws, that he's not allowed to ascend back to that power to continue to do so. I, th- I think that it's encouraging to see a state like Illinois um, take a stand, whether or not it's going to be effective. I think we have to uphold our own principles and ultimately that is that is a, a pretty big one when when we talk about who is qualified for that important role as you know a commander in chief of of our armed forces and the president of the United States who um, is really has many lives at at uh, at at stake with his his choices so I'm encouraged by some of this I'm I, I'm whether it works or not, I don't think that's really the point. I think these states and these citizens are saying we want to make sure we have qualified candidates who are not treasonous at the top of our tickets. And um, I commend them for, for taking the stand. We're going to see. Will this work? Will it not? Will people perceive it this way? I mean, because, Aaron, so much of it comes down to perception. I mean, People really do, they see, if they see it through a political lens, and quite frankly, we personalize it and see it that way, it just becomes a mess. And I think that's what we've got now. We have, we got roughly half of the country who believes that he needs to be on the, well, at least his supporters, that's about roughly half the country. They believe that these, um, that this is, that this is not the way to go. And so, It'll be interesting to see, to see it play itself out. And Robert makes the point, you know, if you think January 6th was something, mm, what do you think is going to happen if he's, if he is blocked just from one state? Call me at seven, call yeah. us at 773-763-9278. I got about 15 seconds, Dwight. Then beat him. Beat him at the polls. It's a, it's a, it's a contest. Then beat him. Well, let's talk about it, everybody. 773-763-9278. Got Rami Blonde, brilliant political Palestinian activist who's going to talk to us, give us his thoughts. I mean, because now we see that the Gallup poll shows that the federal elected officials, the top ones, the ones who have, who are the best known in the country, they do not have 50% approval ratings. Wow. So what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? What does that, what does all of this mean? 
Um, and what does it mean for the Democrats not to even have a primary? How is that going to work? <laughs> Back along with the San Peter Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Got a tremendous panel. Rami Blonde is going to be with us another time. I made the mistake, everybody. I thought he was going to be on from 7.30 to 7, but he thought he was going to be on from 7 to 7.30. Got to get him on next week to hear just from all over the country what people are feeling about this. More and more states are attempting to keep former President Trump off the ballot. What do you think? Um, many on this panel say this is a bad idea. Um, others on the panel, are, you know, it's kind of evenly divided. You're like, no, good idea. The timing's bad. So what's the deal, everybody? Call us at 773-763-9278-773-763-WCPT. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think should happen? Should he be barred from uh, from running? I mean, Robert, has, has Trump been convicted of insurrection? Well, that's one of the constitutional issues because there's not really a charge for insurrection, but also the 14th Amendment doesn't require somebody to be convicted of an insurrection. It just says participation uh, in an insurrection is enough to bar you as a federal official, or bar you from uh, uh, holding federal office. Uh, but also, the it doesn't enumerate president as being one of these officials. Um, we have Supreme Court precedents that says that uh, when the Constitution says official, they're talking about non-elected officials, for example, and that comes from the Roberts Court back in 2012. Um, you know, it could be, it has been argued that when Congress impeached him for incitement to insurrection, that could constitute a conviction for insurrection to justify the use of the 14th Amendment, but all of these things are theory right now, and the final arbiter, the final decision maker on what uh, what is and what isn't, is going to be the Supreme Court, which has a historic conservative majority and three justices that were appointed by President Trump. So if it is seen as uh, liberal courts around the country attempting to throw President Trump off the ballot and then it's overturned by the Supreme Court, uh, then that just puts a feather in President Trump's cap going into the fall, saying they've done everything they can to stop me from running. They try to remove me from the ballot. I'm still here to fight for you and fight for the Constitution, etc. Um, this is why I just think the whole process seems to be a poor idea. You're dealing with somebody who was a historically unpopular president, impeached twice, led insurrection, uh, has been sued all over the country, facing criminal charges. Or just, just beat him at the ballot box instead of going through this entire constitutional and uh, intellectual process. Mm, call us at 773-763-9278. But, Aaron, you keep pressing accountability. Talk to us. Well, and I, I think I'm looking at this in a, in a way. Let, let's, let's reverse the, the uh, characters here. Let's say this is a Democrat that did all of these things. I think a Republican Justice Department, to your point, would have immediately sought indictments and prosecution and removal and public 
um, hearings on this for every elected official down the line who supported this president. Right. So I'm I'm I am looking at it um, from that point of view. And I think it's a a tactic that um, is a good one when properly um, properly used. Um, and I think it's one in in other ways. We we often use it in politics to eliminate opponents, whether it's questioning signatures and validity of, um, you know, the folks achieving and certifying what they've, you know, uh, done from the state perspective or county perspective and have the proper certification from the public to run or delaying folks um, in costly recounts, as we see in the city of Chicago. So I think this is a tactic that others use in many different ways for violations of just basic election laws, right? Now we take it to the next level here. And I think it is about tactics and accountability Right now, I think, um, you know, Michigan, as we talked about earlier, would have been a significant state, but their Supreme Court in the state of Michigan is not favorable to rule um, in favor of this argument, maybe based on some political reasons, as we talked about in the previous segment. So we that would have been a swing state that would have signaled a, a real crisis for, for the Trump side from a um, electoral perspective, if, if states like Michigan, states uh, that are, are, are sw- true swing states would be willing to, to take that on. There may be a trend that more states will, will file and, and um, you know, create this, this conversation. But I think the bigger issue is going to be the acceleration in the actual legal process for former President Trump and that kind of liability that he may or may not face, right? He has primaries coming up himself. So I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll look to the ballot um, in many of these states and Republican primaries to see what, what the voters on, on that side are going to say. Hmm. So, I mean, just play this out for me, game this out for me, Dwight. If he is blocked from... <coughs> the ballot in just a few states. Well, if he's blocked from the ballot, everybody, what does that mean? Can you write him in? Anyone have an answer? Uh, Yeah, I I can. I I believe what I read is at least in Colorado, the determination of the Supreme court, the four to three determination was that the secretary of state of Colorado would be obliged to throw out any write-ins for Trump and omit them from the record. And so that even if one resorted to, uh, Trump partisan resorted to writing in his name that would be expunged from the record. Uh, I, okay, that, that's recalled from memory, but I believe that was the ruling here. So it's a pretty strong, one might even say extreme determination by the Supreme Court that really uh, disenfranchise or risks disenfranchising people. And again, I'm very troubled by that. And um, so, yes, but I, I think that basically, at least in Colorado, it may be different than other states. Writing in would not be an option. If writing in is not an option, do, do I, what do you think people would do? Well, if writing is not an option, violence is an option. Because, in my opinion, people will think that you have taken their right to vote for the primary candidate off the table. And I don't think that his crowd is going to take that well. 
Now, I don't think that should be the basis of the decision. Uh, and I understand what Erin is saying when she's saying that it has to be a level of accountability. But again, accountability is so subjective and insurrection as opposed to protest is so subjective that you run the risk of anybody anywhere going after anybody to get them off the ballot based on their interpretation of a march or a demonstration or a protest or whatsoever. The risk you run with the Trump crowd is that they are an armed crowd and they many of them are very volatile crowd and they can they 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 may see this as a counter revolution and you haven't taken their constitutional rights and uh and democratic process away and now they see themselves as the uh a militia they see themselves as the minutemen of twenty twenty of of twenty four of 2024, they now see themselves as the new George Washington, the new Alexander Hamilton's, and to arms, to arms, to arms, to arms. And the tragedy, not the tragedy, the irony, as you just said, is the Constitution not just gives them the right to do that, it, it, it recommends that they do that if they felt that way. It is in the Constitution itself it says at the point you feel that people are trying to take your rights away, you have the obligation to bear arms and to fight against that government. If you see them as them being a threat to your own democracy. And so, you know, it may go full circle if we're not careful. Well, Americans are seditious. I mean, I mean that's, that's a real errand. That's a real thing. We believe in taking up arms. I mean, like, look, you even see Biden going to Valley Forge. I mean, come on. <laughs> What's that about? The symbolism of it all, right? I just, I'm just trying to find out where all of this is going to go. Because we're still not having a discussion about poverty, and we desperately need that. We're all talking about Trump. <laughs> we're not talking about the things that are bedeviling people like these, you know, a dozen eggs almost cost them ten dollars or moving toward ten dollars with a quickness, Aaron. It's just I don't know, but this this is a very real thing because people will take up arms, I do believe. Not that, you know, as Dwight rightly pointed out, that you should make the that the decision should just be based upon that, you know, that you have to be cowed into uh, into silence. I don't think our elected officials or the, these courts should say, well, because these people feel this way, we can't, we can't rule this way. But there's, I mean, there's just, when it, when it, when it gets political, Aaron, I just think it just becomes very dangerous. It just sounds personal. Well, and I think the, the reality is, and his, his, um, his base will not see this nuance, right? I think that's it. That's, a clear understanding we, we have. But the candidate took their right away to vote for him by his decision to participate in these activities of influencing electors and participating in this event. I'm more concerned, honestly, about the electors' influence than the participation in the insurrection, right? Because that directly 
goes against the process and the the undue influence, the targeted approach, the um, the evidence against him as well, right? So I, I understand that that's that's not uh, an argument that will be front and center, but but that's that's the reality, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing the fair process that we still have. That we're still going through a primary election process in this country. The voters do still have a voice, and I think um, you know we'll we'll see where his power base is based on those Republican primaries. He will be on the ballot in most of the states still. Um, if there's a retroactive removal before the general election, I think um, that will be an interesting process to watch, certainly. Well, you heard about uh, the, this process on the Democratic side or the lack thereof. I mean, because I just see inertia with Democrats right now because we're not having any discussions. And that is unsettling to me. Robert. Well, I think you have a point because what what this entire process, both the the uh, criminal legal process as well as the primary process uh, for Don, uh, for Trump has done, is center him in American politics. That this, uh, despite President uh, Biden being in, uh, in the Oval Office, um, the national conversation revolves around Trump. When Trump gets up and hops on a plane and Mar-a-Lago has to fly to court in New York, uh, you have twenty four hour cable news coverage on it. They break down everything from what he's wearing to how his hair looks uh, to where where Melania is, and we've heard for years he's saying there's no such thing as bad publicity. Um, that's being proven true. Uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle, on the other hand, uh, President Biden uh, uh, pardoned um, thousands of marijuana convictees in federal prison a couple weeks ago. Uh, not a not a blip in national media. They've canceled something like $150 billion in student loans. Not a blip in media because they're not centered in the conversation. And uh, our system is based upon conflict. We have an adversarial system. And so when there's no one fighting against Biden, there's really no reason to pay attention to him, uh, which leads to just this argument about uh, his fitness his capabilities, et cetera, as opposed to the policies that, uh, that he's able to push through. So that's even hurting his campaign, not having this, uh, this adversary for him to go against, not having a pugilist uh, on both sides of the aisle, which draws attention, draws eyeballs. Every single one of those Republican debates, for example, is just a chance to talk to more American voters, and Democrats are going to have to find a way uh, to get their message out there. Right now, they do not have a trusted messenger within the Biden campaign. They don't trust Kamala Harris to go out there and deliver the message. Uh, every time they send her somewhere, they have Doug standing over her shoulder like he's watching her to make sure she doesn't say anything that she's not supposed to. Uh, they don't trust their booted judge anymore to come out and make statements. They don't trust President Biden to do interviews and go out and make statements. Uh, so it's very difficult to really carry that message to the American people when they don't trust their primary messengers to be able to get out there, uh, do those interviews, come on shows like this, uh, go to those community meetings around the country. Uh, they don't have the, uh, that grassroots that I was talking about that's able to be surrogates for the campaign and carry that message to the American people. Hmm. I hadn't thought about uh, her husband standing over her shoulder everywhere she goes, as if she does not know what to say. Hadn't thought about that. Well, I mean, that is... I mean, I, I don't know. Is, is I, I don't remember Mike Pence's... 
Yeah, I don't remember Mike Pence's wife just showing up anywhere or being involved in policy briefings or whispering in his ear any time that there was a question or just kind of standing around. I don't know what Mike Pence's wife looks like. Uh, and I find it just odd that the first black female vice president, it seems that no matter where she goes, uh, we, we're seeing Doug make statements on Israel-Palestine. We're seeing Doug making statements on anti-Semitism. We're seeing Doug make statements on Kanye West, etc. Just a very strange thing. I feel like people aren't paying attention to. Who is he? Exactly. I mean, I'm just saying who, I mean, does anyone really understand his background at all? Okay, well, there's that. And so, I mean, so so you do have that. I mean, and it does not make her look strong, which which becomes a problem because given President Biden's challenges, she should be the natural alternative. But no one wants her. And I just think that's such a shame. She's so bright. She has so much to offer. And yet she has just been pushed into the background. I mean, Dwight, you but you just think that this that the that the the Democrats have just cashed their chips on this. You you don't see the Democrats winning in the fall, at least at the presidential level. Uh, no, I see them self-destructing, and uh, I think that's why they are so intent on trying to keep keep uh, Biden and keep uh, Trump off of the ballot is because they don't believe they can win. They don't believe they can beat him. And if they only strategy is to keep him off the ballot, it's more of a concession than it is a conviction to say that this guy, we really can't beat him. And so... Rather than us run against him, take it to the streets, take it to the polls, we want to say, well, keep him off the ballot and just give it to us and call it a valid election. I don't think that's going to fly. Darryl, and I don't think he'll win organized. the Supreme Court. I'm, I'm like, and I'm like, like uh, the professor, I think he's going to lose in the courts, in the Supreme Court. So it's really going to be an exercise in futility, I think. Well, I certainly uh, agree with you, Dwight. Organizing and working with people. You know, I think that, you know, with most people, their most immediate concern is what's happening in front of them right now. Not necessarily the presidential stuff, but what's happening with them at their table, what's happening with them in their living room, not what's happening with them uh, on the television. But when they start to, you know, delve into this whole Trump versus Biden uh, crisis, uh, I think that, you know, what uh, what we primarily see uh, are people that are saying that, uh, you know, well, for, for the most part, that they think that Trump has committed a crime and he's getting away with it and no one's doing anything about it. And so, you know, that's where you start with that argument. And I think it was Aaron that brought up uh, Michigan and what was happening with the Michigan uh, not removing them from the ballot. Well, you got to remember, Michigan didn't remove them from the ballot. They weren't leaning in that direction because they never really got into the issue of whether or not uh, uh, the uh, the insurrection occurred. They never got to that point. They never got to that discussion. That's why I say that, you know, with the question of whether or not Trump should be removed from the ballot, they screwed this up from the beginning. They should have, when they were, prosec- number one, they should have been prosecuting people 
at the at the time they were storming the Capitol, not waiting to go and try to find them months later, but they should have prosecuted Trump right along with all of that. Because then you have the determination. You have whether or not he's an insurrectionist. You have whether or not Section uh, 14, Section 3 applies. That's done then and there. Not now where, you know, you, you got to try to piecemeal it and put it all together. And so you have people that are out in the public right now, the general public right now, they're just frustrated with the entire process. They've watched the January 6th commission. They've listened to all of these reports. They've seen the headlines of what's going out there. And now, you know, they're frustrated by this entire process. And that's what I think the Biden administration has got to be concerned with, is that their base won't show up because they haven't shown up to prosecute and do what they should have done. You know, Santita, one of the first things I said when we, uh, when I uh, was speaking with you regarding this issue is that you're going to see the American legal system on trial. Will they treat a former president the same way they treat anybody else? The very basics of what we talk about with our legal system. And the answer right now seems to be a resounding no, that, the, that he's being treated differently. He's being given certain preferential treatment, all the things that the average American wouldn't have. And that's what the average voter is seeing. And they're bothered by it. But you know, but he's not the average American or or she one day will not be the average American. They have extraordinary powers and they have extraordinary privilege and they have extraordinary let. I mean, I get it. I mean, that's have we ever really treated people equally and fairly? No, that's not what we do. You know, but I I mean, it's just like the difference between equality and equity. (laughs) You know, that that ain't kind of what this is about here. I think that, you know, putting your thumbs on the scales, putting your thumb on the scales, and making uh, that which is um, what should be an objective argument, a subjective one, has been a mistake. Beat him in the streets. Beat him at the ballot box. Now it looks like you're trying to beat him in the courts, and that's not going to work. It's not going to work. And then if you do not allow people to even write him in in certain states, I just I, th- I see that being very, very dangerous. I mean, what did John Kennedy say that riots in the language is the language of the unheard? That is dangerous, particularly when Americans are seditious. And Americans take up, took up arms to start the country. I mean, that's just kind of sort of who we are. I'm not saying that I'm with an insurrection. No, uh-uh, no, 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 no. But I have to tell you, I'm still burnt about 2,000, Daryl and uh, Dr. Gibbs and Attorney Aaron Connolly and Dwight McKee. I'm still burnt about that, that the Supreme Court delivered a, um, a president to us, and we didn't say Jack. We were so caught up in the personal drama of Reverend Jesse Jackson, which we had already worked through. Think about that. Think about it and look at what it cost us. Look at what George W. Bush did. And personalizing our politics, that's what happens. you got millions of dead Iraqis, ill will all over the world, an increase in poverty, an increase in our, in our debt, more than $20 trillion offshore. I mean, come on. And no one's even talking about that. Now, George W. Bush is a hero. Hello? Anybody there? Come on. I mean, yeah, I, I, just, I think that our, our prior, I think I'm saying our priorities are off. They're off. They're off here. I don't see the Democrats out here making the argument. Robert, you just made the argument. All of these great things that Biden does. 
I never hear the Democrats. I don't, they don't even have their people on CNN and MSNBC and Fox talking about it. It's crazy. Robert. Well, well, to that point, you know, if, if it was a properly functioning party, they would hear us on this show and hear other the people around the country, and the uh, Democratic Party will reach out to these people, to these voices, and they will bring them in, and they will say, well, who are your audiences? Who, do, who are you speaking to? How can we work with you to get this messaging out there? I know that this is the way it's supposed to happen, because that's what Republicans do. There's a reason Candace Owens just bubbled to the top, and Charlie Kirk, and uh, Ben Shapiro, and all these other kind of young figures, because they reach out there, they put funding behind them, they magnify their audience, and they use them as surrogates to get their messaging out there. Democrats do the exact opposite. They just assume that everyone's going to come to them hand-in-hand, hand, uh, hoping for the best. And when you do that, you lose a generation, and that's why the leadership of the Democratic Party is beyond geriatric, and wh- while there's no grassroots and there's no coattails for the future. What are you going to be talking about on WAOK on Sunday? I've got less than a minute. We're going to be talking about the Cat Williams controversy, but we're going to be talking about it from the aspect of what if all these people had worked together the last 30 years instead of backbiting and fighting against each other? Wow. What a difference that would have made. Everybody, it's Dwight McKee, Dr. David Gibbs, Attorney Aaron Connolly, Attorney Daryl Jones on WOL every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, I'll be on Keep Hope Alive with Reverend Jesse Jackson from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Standard Time on Sunday. Can't wait to be with you there. And this Peace Summit at Rainbow Push, you don't want to miss it. It is next Friday. It will be on and crack in. Cornell West will be there. Nina Turner will be there. Senator Nina Turner. So many people are coming in from all over the country and all over the world calling for peace and not just calling for it, looking for it. <laughs> Can't wait to be with you on Sunday on Keep Up Alive and on Monday, God willing, on the Santita Jackson Show. Henry, thank you for a great show. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day.